and uh, and we'll 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 consider the, the glories of Christ as presented in Isaiah chapter nine verses six and seven. And of course, as 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 you're aware, that this passage is is often um, quoted at this time of year. Let me just let me just read it for us again. Just verses six and seven of Isaiah chapter nine. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this, this passage is familiar to, to many people. It's, it's on Christmas cards, and, and, and people often think about the names of Christ here as, as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But it's, it's far less often that people actually consider what these actually mean. It's far less often that people actually consider the, the context, and they, they, don't, they often fail to consider what this message meant to its first recipients and what it means to us today. Isaiah, you might not be aware of this, but Isaiah has, has so many references to the Messiah, not even actually using the, the direct word Messiah, but so many references to the coming Christ that it's often referred to as the fifth gospel. There's just so much in here. In fact, we know that the whole Bible points to Christ, but, but there are so many direct references and so many prophecies that were that were given here that point to who Jesus is and what he came to do. Isaiah prophesied during the 8th century BC as as Israel was declining in the midst of more powerful nations that were surrounding it. And it was declining not because of, of a lack of military might, but it was declining because they had turned away from God. And God's judgment was coming. So the book of Isaiah is a call to, repent, to repentance. But Israel repeatedly refused to heed the warnings of impending doom. You can really summarize the, the whole book with, with the passage of Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. Isaiah 1, verses 2 to 5. Hear, O heavens, and give earth. Give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. But there in the midst of prophecies of coming judgment are signs of hope. As Matthew Henry explains, by the foregoing threatenings, Jerusalem is brought into a very deplorable condition. 
Everything looks melancholy, but here the sun breaks out from behind a cloud. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. It speaks of a coming time when, when Israel will be renewed. The trials will have purified the nation. And on a faithful remnant, the Lord would fulfill his promises to Israel. Now the branch of the Lord there refers to the Messiah. He is the hope of Israel. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 reveals the hope of Israel. He says, the, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Once again, this also points to Christ. The virgin is Mary, the son Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we here on the other side of the cross understand the fulfillment of this, but also there, there was an immediate fulfillment. There was an immediate fulfillment that, that would have meant a great deal to the people of Israel in the midst of those trials. The Lord had sent Isaiah to Ahaz, the king of Judah, telling him not to fear the threat of Syria and Ephraim, which is another name for the, court, for the northern kingdom of Israel. Isaiah tells Ahaz to ask for a sign. To ask for a sign even as, as high as heaven or as low as Sheol. The Lord was offering deliverance to Ahaz. He was offering deliverance, but Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz refused to humble himself and to ask the Lord for help and even appeal to Scripture in order to, to back up his sinful rejection of help from the Lord. So instead, he took, actually took the gold and the silver from the temple and gave them to the king of Assyria in hopes that, that he would go and attack Syria. And that's what happened. Damascus was sacked. These events are chronicled in 2 Kings chapter 16. But in response to, what, to Ahaz's rejection, Isaiah prophesied the sign of Emmanuel, the son of a virgin. Now, this truly was a sign as high as heaven. God is with his people to deliver them. The threat of Syria and Ephraim will be removed. They will be destroyed. But instead, because of the sin of Ahaz, a much more dangerous threat will come. That of Assyria itself. Assyria is going to invade Judah. Judah had, had refused the, the calm waters of Shiloh, and instead the rough waters of Assyria would come flooding over Emmanuel's land. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, right up to the very next. This is the context for Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. The context of the threat of, of a massive army coming to conquer the people of God. Now throughout the history of the world there have been it's, it is a history of bloodshed. 
Starting when Cain slew Abel. War was nothing new. But what was new here was that the people of God were being overrun by a nation of pagans. The people to whom God had made the precious promises. The promise that he had made to Abraham back in Genesis 12 verse 3. That in Abraham all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. That, that from Abraham who at this point was, was, a, was a, a, an infertile elderly man and his wife well sorry actually his wife was barren Abraham wasn't infertile his Sarah was was barren but God promised Abraham that he would make his children as the stars in heaven as the as the sand on the seashore but here we see Israel being attacked Israel being overrun But against the dark shadow of the Assyrian armies, a bright light shone. Against the despair of impending doom, joy would ring. Behind the yoke of oppression, freedom would reign. The implements of war would be destroyed. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government should be upon his shoulder, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. These were words of profound hope for elect Israel, for the remnant that would be spared. Remember, Isaiah had prophesied these things over 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But living as we do now on the other side of the cross, we understand these things in a way that Isaiah did not yet understand. He could not have fully grasped the full magnitude of what was being said here. 1 Peter 1, 10-12 tells us that the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be ours searched and inquired diligently as to the glorious truths about the person and the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. But they were serving us, not themselves. They did not fully understand the Holy Spirit was, was guiding them into eternal truths. Now, there were temporal, temporal truths, things that they could understand and could apply to their individual context. But these things were far greater than they could have imagined. We understand these things in a way that they could not have through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the New Testament is the key to a full understanding of the prophecy of Isaiah. So we interpret the Old Testament in light of the New. So let's examine here what, what, these, what this passage, what Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 means for us, for Christians under the New Covenant. For unto us a child is born. 
In Bethlehem, over 2,000 years ago, a chorus of angels declared the birth of the Messiah as recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 12. So this Christmas, are you remembering what that baby in a manger means? Isaiah goes on, unto us a son is given. This is not just a son, this is the son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Son of Man. He was both God and man, fully divine and fully human. John 3.16 Beloved, God so loved you that he gave his only son. You who believe in Christ will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This passage is is quoted so often, but just stop and think for a moment about what this really means. Think of the blessing of what you have received in Christ. The Father loves you so much that he sent his own Son to die for your sins. The Father loves you so much that he punished his Son for your sins. He sent his Son to the cross for you. Now, if that applies to you, there is no blessing that God will withhold from you. He's already blessed you eternally. He's already blessed you so that you can have relationship with him now and with with the hope of a relationship that will continue for all eternity. As you worship Christ, without the, 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 the distractions of this world, without the temptations to sin, you will behold the glory of Christ and know that, that the, the moments that you enjoy will last forever. That these blessings are eternal. But he's not just blessed us in the future, he has blessed us now. And he's not just blessed us with with eternal blessings, though these should be our focus, but he's also blessed us and is blessing us with temporal blessings as well. Romans 8.32 
Are you looking to the son who lived a righteous life but died a sinner's death so that you do not have to die but can have his righteousness given to you? The government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus, even though he was in a lowly manger, was already a king, and not just any king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about this for a moment. Even while he was in his humble human flesh, as a helpless little baby, he was upholding the universe by the word of his power. It boggles the mind, but Christ in his incarnation was still upholding the universe. Rule is a burden, but Christ carries it all in his providential rule. His kingdom was inaugurated at his birth and it will be fulfilled at his return. Consider the foundation of the Great Commission that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, who is God incarnate, yet who humbled himself. God incarnate humbled himself, and not just to take the form of, of, a, of an earthly king, not just to take the, the form of a, of a regular guy, but to take the form of a lowly slave. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. One day, the skies will be rent. One day, Christ will return. One day, every knee will bow. Whether it's those who are bowing in worshiping their king, or it is those who are bowing in terror of hell. But one day, every knee will bow. Are you joyfully submitting to Christ's authority now in every area of your life? Isaiah then goes on to present four of the names of Jesus. Now these four names, I want us to, to think about how they communicate his divine and his human nature. So his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. The Messiah is wonderful in every way, but this points to the wisdom of the Messiah. He is wisdom personified as the eternal word of God. But here, his wisdom is expressed in his providential rule. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 28 and 29. Sorry, sorry Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29.
Jesus Christ is omniscient, just as God the Father is omniscient. He knows everything from eternity past into eternity future. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Omniscience in the, in the deity here is, is tied to omnipotence. Because he is omniscient, he is also sovereign over all things. Nothing escapes his gaze. Nothing escapes his knowledge and nothing escapes his control. C.H. Spurgeon said that whether it is, it is the planets tracking through the heavens or that the speck of dust dancing in the sunlight that shines through your window, none can move an inch but by God's sovereign will. Do you believe that? That there is nothing too big and nothing too small to escape God's control. Do you believe that that then applies to the circumstances of your life? Are you entrusting yourself to his providential care and rule in your life? His name shall be called Mighty God. The Messiah is fully God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here is El, and it's also applied to the Messiah in Psalms uh, 45, verse 6, which is quoted directly in Hebrews 1, verses 8 and 9. So here we have God referring to Jesus as God. Jesus is God. I've had many discussions with with members of the Watchtower cult, commonly known as the, as the Jehovah's Witnesses. But they are not witnesses for God. They're witnesses for Satan. And they pull Colossians 1.15 out of, out of context and, and misapply it and misunderstand it. And, and I want us to think, as, as this passage uh, is read, the word, all things, how many times this is actually used because in the, the, in the corrupt New World translation that is used by the Watchtower cult, they remove all things every time it is there. They actually put it in brackets and saying that it's not really, it's, it's, it, that it's not really there even though it is clear that it is in the original manuscripts. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20.
So that verse, verse 15, they, they grab onto the fact that, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And they, they use this as a, as a proof text, reading, reading their own faulty hermeneutic into it and saying that Jesus is firstborn, therefore he is a created being. What they're failing to understand is, is, is what this word firstborn actually means. Firstborn is actually more of, of a title than it is talking about birthright. We talked about this on Friday night at family night with, with Psalms 89 verse 27 as, as King David is referred to as the firstborn even though he was, was the youngest son. He was, was given the, the, the title and the authority of being firstborn because he was made the king. And as David was king, he was also a type of Christ. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. Are you worshiping Jesus Christ, God the Son? Are you giving him the reverence that is due his name? His name should be called Everlasting Father. Here he is not the Father in relation to the Trinity, but he is Father in relation to his people. This is the context of this passage. His care is that as of a father for his children. As Charles Simeon explains, this title respects not his relation to the deity, for respect to that he is the son and not the father, but rather his relation to his spiritual seed, whom he, who, those whom he has begotten by his word and spirit. Isaiah refers to the Messiah in this way as well in Isaiah chapter 63 verses 15 and 16. Are you looking to your Redeemer? Are you looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of your faith? Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the Lord of our salvation. He is our Redeemer. So are you looking to your Redeemer, Jesus? Is your hope in Him and in Him alone? His name shall be called Prince of Peace. The Messiah was prefigured in Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace. 
and all war will cease under his mighty rule. But the most important war that will end under the Messiah is the war between God and man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is the gospel in one verse. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So are you here today as somebody with whom the Lord has been reconciled through the blood of Christ? Are you sitting here today as as somebody in, in whom the love of Christ is shining? Are you sitting here today as somebody that has, has been pronounced righteous? Somebody who has been justified by the blood of Christ? Is the peace of the Prince of Peace reigning in your heart. Next, we read about his government and his peace. We read about how his rule will extend beyond Israel to incorporate people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And this is being fulfilled before our very eyes as messengers fulfill the Great Commission. As people are seeing that that they are ambassadors for Christ, going with the message of the gospel to those who are lost. Going because they know that the Lamb is worthy of the reward that was due his suffering. Going to create worship in the power of the Holy Spirit where once there was rebellion. So when the gospel is proclaimed in the power of the Holy Spirit and people repent and turn from their wicked ways to faith in Christ, the kingdom is being built. The kingdom is being built. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. At the end of the age, the kingdom will be fully established. It will never end. But until that time, we we do know that there are wars and there are rumors of war. But this does not mean that, that Christ is not on the throne. These things are no surprise to him, just as as this situation with Israel and the Assyrians was no surprise to him. 
how God will even use wicked pride in unbelievers to serve his greater purposes and to build his kingdom. God is not the author of sin, but he still uses it for his ultimate ends in the building of his kingdom for the glory of his name. And we'll see this fulfilled at the end of time, at the return of Christ. There's a beautiful picture of this in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. So as one who has been reconciled by the blood of Christ, as one who now has peace with God, what is your role in helping to build the kingdom of Christ? What is your role in fulfilling the Great Commission? To establish and uphold the throne of David. This is, this is part of the, the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with David in 2 Samuel 7, where King David had in his heart to build a, a house for the Lord, to build the temple. But the Lord said, no, you will not make me a house, but I will make you a house. And the Lord promised to raise up an offspring after David and to establish his kingdom forever. And so Jesus came through the line of David, the son of Jesse, of the tribe of Judah. And the Apostle Paul quotes Isaiah in Romans chapter 15, verse 12. And Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 John the Revelator speaks of the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Is your hope in the Lion of the tribe of Judah? In a God who fulfilled his promises to King David, even though David sinned wickedly? God fulfilled his promises. He'll rule with justice and righteousness now and forever. Many kingdoms have risen and fallen since the creation of the world. Empires given the mandate from God to exercise authority have come and gone. The Lord has raised up one king and has taken down another. The Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire, the American Empire, all have faded from their former, former glory and they have all, as they have all failed to exercise God's righteousness and justice. And only the Lord knows how many more empires will rise and fall until the day of the Lord. 
But Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6 tell us. Jeremiah here speaks of, of, a, of a coming time under the, the new covenant, a time when, the, when there will be a, the future for Israel, when God's promises will be fulfilled. But in the meanwhile, as we look around us, as we see gross injustice and wickedness running rampant, as a representative of the Lord, how can you now stand for God's justice and for righteousness? Finally, we see that all of these things are done ultimately through the Lord. For we know that without Him, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through him who gives us strength. But ultimately, it is the Lord who is bringing salvation history to its ultimate and predetermined end. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Repeatedly, we read of a remnant from Israel being preserved by the zeal of the Lord. He will save them from their enemies. He is not rejecting his people. Expositing Isaiah first, Paul makes this clear, especially in Romans chapter 11, where he says that God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, but will preserve a remnant. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 29. God is faithful to his promises to Israel. That is the message of Isaiah. God is faithful to his promises to all his people. That is the message of the Bible. How can you entrust yourself to the promises of a zealous God? To him who is faithful. Beloved, he who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. We saw earlier from, from Hebrews chapter 12 that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That we have been given the, the seal of the Holy Spirit as the, as the, the promise of our salvation. God is faithful to his promises. So when you look in your Bible, when you see the promises that, that God has made to Israel, realize that his character is being revealed. That God is faithful. That God never changes. 
and for the promises that, that are there in the Bible for you. Lay hold of them. Make them your own. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that, that those who hear the word of the Lord and do it will be like those whose house is built on a rock. It's not enough just to hear the word of the Lord. You have to hear the word of the Lord and do it. In that parable, the same storm hit the man whose house was built on the rock as well as the man whose house was built on the sand. But it is only the one who failed to do the word of God whose house fell and great was the fall of it. Beloved, God is faithful to his promises. And we see this as Israel was delivered from the Assyrians. And we will see this in the day of Christ when they return. We have also received forgiveness. We have received the promise of Christ. We have received righteousness from Christ. There is no more enmity between God and us because all of God's wrath was put on Jesus instead of us. So when Jesus died on that cross, he said, it is finished. The debt had been paid. It had been canceled. So at Christmas time, and all the time, when the eyes of the world are on the things of the world, keep your eyes on Christ, the promised Messiah of God. Let's pray together.